This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How are you, Brian? Well, in spite of the two-part WrestleMania, I'm doing pretty well, Al. Thanks for asking. Yes, we're, we're uh, talking right after uh, WrestleMania. Uh, the show just wrapped up uh, five, ten minutes ago, and we jumped right on the phone. I think we're both chomping at the bit here to give our thoughts on uh, maybe an overused term, but what will absolutely be one of the most memorable WrestleManias uh, ever. And for more reasons than you'd think, uh, I would say we'd get into that uh, in, in a moment. I'd say that this is the night that that I sort of realized that Maybe this is all passing me by. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm getting too old for this. Uh, and we'll deal with it in, in a second. Uh, a very quick, not to belabor uh, uh, the plugs, but just want to get out of the way. Go to pwi-online.com for all your Pro Wrestling Illustrated needs. The current issue featuring the the decade in review, our decade awards, the wrestler of the decade, the late AJ Styles is on the cover. And uh, I I guess starting uh, tomorrow, Brian, you start to put together um, one of our most popular features for the next issue, which is the real winners and losers of WrestleMania. I got a good idea who you think the real losers are. (laughs) And and it's everybody (laughs) listening to this podcast. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it was quite a challenge, I have to say, uh, trying to cover some of these quote unquote matches for that article. I could tell you that. Yeah, I mean, just just absolute bizarre times we're we're living in. Um, but again, uh, go to pwi-online.com, um, subscribe. You can pick up the one issue, uh, or you could uh, download it. Uh, subscribe digitally, subscribe in print. Either way, you get a big discount over the cover price, and you'll be supporting what we've been doing here for 41 years. I'll keep it short. Again, pwi-online.com. Brian, let's jump uh, uh, right into it. We have now uh, WrestleMania, both night one and two, uh, behind us. Again, it just wrapped up. Uh, Absolutely fascinating. Rather, well, I guess we'll start this way. Overview, your thoughts on um, what WWE put together this weekend. Did they pull this off? Okay, so I just put out a tweet that I had to really think long and hard about and really consider before I just put it out there into the ether, but I swear I really did. And, you know, it's fresh in the moment. Maybe I'll change my mind, but I would call this the worst WrestleMania ever. Okay. I, I And that includes nine. Yeah. I would disagree because part of me feels like uh, you got to grade on a curve and even beyond a curve, you got to kind of throw out the whole grading system. This is, it, it's such an anomaly of the year that it is, it, to, to be fair, this can't be compared to any other WrestleMania, right? For, for all right. these circumstances. Right. And I uh, did say, I did even say, look, I know there are extreme mitigating circumstances, obviously. And I think if there had been a crowd there, it wouldn't, come off to me as the worst WrestleMania of all time. But the reality is there was no crowd there. So I could only go by what I saw. And the problem was the drama was just drained, like vampirically drained from everything. (laughs) Just there were moments that should have been, you're watching it going like, oh, 
that should have been a great moment, right? Yes. And I, I started feeling bad for the talent. Like, like this is their time. This is their moment. And they're yelling and screaming in an empty room. And it's just like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to see the bright side of it, and, and but it just is what it is for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I largely agree. I might actually have liked the show better than you did. Absolutely night one. I, I, I think they pulled off a, a, a small miracle in, in night one. Um, you know, you talked when we last spoke about kind of the, the, the train derailment that you knew was coming. And I didn't think it was that. And just because it wasn't that, I thought they deserved a ton of credit. First, we'll start with with the pros. I think they made the performance center look as good as they possibly could make it look. I mean, they try, you're talking, you know, we had Rex on uh, Rex Lawless on uh, last week. It's a gym, you know, um, yeah. and and that they dressed it up as much as they did. Uh, really tons of props to WWE's production team for making it look as major league um, as they did. So absolutely deserve all the credit in the world to that. Um, Look, there was no crowd. And, and uh, I I think WWE as much as anybody realized that that is an almost insurmountable obstacle when you are putting on these matches, Um, you know, it was, it was most noticeable when, when the announcers in, in the gaps between announcers, and I felt for the announcers because so much of what they do often is, especially at, at a WrestleMania stage is sort of strategically laying out, you know, when, when do you take that pause to, to, you know, kind of let the, the, the viewers soak it in the ambiance, the, the atmosphere, the, the cheers, the booze, and they couldn't do that because as, as soon as they did, it was like, you know, on, on radio dead air. I mean, it's the worst thing that, that you could have. And that's what it was. I mean, the moment that they didn't speak, it was just eerie silence. So, um, that, that was a challenge for them. Um, so I started even wondering why they had ring announcers because it's like, well, the, the TV announcers could just uh, tell the viewing audience who's in the ring. Like we don't need a guy bellowing on a microphone to nobody. You know, I mean, I, I see the ring announcers job as being, I'm announcing for the live crowd, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, uh, and we could go match, uh, by match. Some matches probably don't need reviewing, but, but I do think ultimately this WrestleMania beyond all the crazy circumstances are going to be remembered for two matches. I'm sure you agree. Uh, the boneyard match from last night and tonight's firefly, a uh, fun house match. Um, you know, it, it it was clearly WWE trying to think outside the box, taking these unusual circumstances and trying to make uh, uh, trying to be creative, think, uh, 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 find a new approach, a new way of 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 um, telling stories, I think, to differing degrees of success, um, which uh, and, and again, I'm not being facetious here. I think it's fascinating how this stuff has been received. So. I watched the Boneyard match last night and I'm and I'm watching it and I'm like I thought parts of it were were and I tweeted it were, were cringe inducingly uh bad uh and was was surprised at the end of of the night when I'm checking out uh not just the the reaction on Twitter but but wrestling people who I really respect traditionalists journalists you know folks older than me who have been watching wrestling a lot longer than me and overwhelmingly the the reactions were so positive uh i was really surprised and it made me kind of reconsider you know am i giving it a fair break and and look my reaction was what it was so i won't go back to it but i i can look at it through a different lens and think uh 
the one thing I didn't consider in watching it, I always had a problem with this kind of cinematic stuff. You know, Matt Hardy will have to pay for this one day. You know, his legacy more than anything might might be this WrestleMania. That's the irony. You know, a couple of weeks after yeah. he leaves WWE, this WrestleMania more than anything might be his legacy for for better or for worse. Um, and I could. Uh, w- with some hindsight, give the the boneyard match more of a pass because you can explain away if you want to, and I, and I think folks like me who enjoyed, f- folks of my generation who enjoyed it, I am I did not enjoy it, but but folks of my generation who did enjoy it, who I have heard, um, they have rationalized. Well, you could tell the story that that was all taped, and then WWE um, in post production because it it's not live cut it up in the most dramatic cinematic way uh, possible, inserted the music, all that stuff. But um, at the end of the day, it was a, a fight um, in a graveyard. I mean, there was some stuff that was kind of supernatural, but if you really wanted to, you could explain away a lot of it. And at the end, you, you, you did have a, a fight with a somewhat, somewhat satisfying finish. Um, so I could 24 hours removed uh, understand better why, why people enjoyed it and how people enjoyed it. The Firefly Funhouse match tonight, I was literally watching with my my shirt pulled over my face um, and I wanted to go under a table. It was, <laughs> it, it, you, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? I'm, I, I'm watching it. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? I, I was it, getting it, angry. I actually found myself getting angry watching it. My wife who, you know, is not a wrestling fan, but she puts up with it for me and she'll, you know, she'll get into some things now and then is literally cursing at the television. Yeah. My, in, my, my wife, my two kids, everybody's like, what is this? Yeah. It may be th- the worst thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Now, yeah. I have uh, some thoughts on this when you're done. Well, uh, let me give you something real quick. This is the most fascinating part of all this. So after I got uh, crucified on Twitter last night for yes, not did. liking yeah. the, the the boneyard match. Before I weighed in too much on this match, I put it out there. Did you know? Or did some of you really like this? And I thought some people would, but the majority would be like, no, that that was too far. Um, and so I put a poll up, and it, very simple: Firefly Funhouse loved it, hated it, thought it was okay. What would you think those results were? Well, I mean, that's a very loaded question because, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in a perfect, in a sane world, I would think that everybody would have hated it. But I'm going to go with everybody loved it. Last I checked, it was, I think, 76 percent loved it. And that's when I almost like tap out. I'm like, I just don't know wrestling anymore. Jim Cornette Cornette voted yet. That's what I want. And honestly, um, we'll talk more about it. But but. It, it's uh, I, I think it's really fascinating about what a and I think it speaks to a new generation of wrestling fans yeah. just having completely different expectations and what they what wrestling is, what what they accept, what flies, what doesn't. It's incredible. And and look, if you the same as the Bonnier match, if you liked it, you liked it. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong for liking it, uh, but I don't get it at all. Yeah. And uh, there's a f- so I have a few thoughts about this, too. And some some of them jibe with what you're saying. You mentioned something earlier about the moment when you realize maybe this isn't for me anymore. <laughs> and, and, you know, I had those thoughts like, you know, I've been a lifelong watcher of Saturday Night Live. And in the past few years, I've started to have those thoughts about that show. Uh, this show is not being written for me anymore, clearly. And uh, last night and this night, is giving me those thoughts 
Not that, look, I'm never going to stop watching wrestling, but it's giving me those thoughts like, am I not really the audience for this anymore? And here's why. It's like uh, the audience really has changed. That's important to remember because, look, here's the bottom line. The stuff that we saw these past couple of nights, especially last night, is not that it's never been done before. These are things that at the worst, cringiest moments of WCW in the 90s, they were doing. And people were crapping all over it. This is White Castle of Fear kind of stuff. (laughs) This is spin the wheel, make the deal. This is RoboCop. This is like when Hogan walks into the Dungeon of Doom and it's all that kind of stuff. And people then hated it. But now you've got an audience that over a generation's worth of time of, you know, you train your audience, right? So for better or worse, this audience has been trained now more and more to expect this sort of thing and accept it as professional wrestling, as sports entertainment. I just don't feel like I'm part of that audience. I feel like, look, we accept the term sports entertainment, right? Because, okay, the modern product is a mixture of sports and entertainment. And I look at the Firefly Funhouse match and I say, where's the sports part? Okay. Where's the entertainment part? It's gone. (laughs) Entertaining, sure. Look, and I want to say too, because I'm sure people are going to come at me too. Like, I am not some meathead. You know what I mean? I'm not like some like goofy person that doesn't understand nuance. And look, I have a, a bachelor's and a master's degree in English literature. I am an educator. I've written books. I appreciate fine art. And yes, I would even categorize the Funhouse stuff as a weird kind of avant-garde art, as some people have called it. But here's my thing. That's not what I watch wrestling for, okay? That, <laughs> when I'm looking for that stuff, I don't turn on a wrestling show. I want action. I want good guys and bad guys. I want, you know, I want to be entertained, but just not in that way. So it's not like I'm, I'm just not refined enough to understand what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's yeah, just, and I get that's the same not what I'm looking matter. for. Yeah, yeah but that, that's not what I'm looking for. And so when I worked there, my attitude always was, and it still is, you know, if it draws money, do it. If it makes money, do it. It doesn't have to please me. But I can say that this does not please me, and that's just a fact. It's just not for me. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, – Again, going back to kind of the the, the seeds of this, and, and and you're right. I mean, to some extent, some version of this has been around for for years or, or decades even. But I think the the modern version of this goes back to to uh, Matt Hardy's vision with the broken Matt Hardy stuff, the broken universe, and um, also um, uh, Lucha Underground. And I'm not sure which one came first. I think I think Lucha Underground might have been doing some of this before even Matt Hardy was. And, and Matt obviously took it a step further. And, and, cl- and clearly the, the, the links specifically to the Boneyard match and uh, the Firefly Funhouse, there's a lot of elements of Matt Hardy with, with kind of the um, other, I mean, beyond just filming it like a movie, you had all this kind of, magical other world kind of superpower stuff um that that goes beyond again just sort of treating it cin- cinematically now and 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 you get the 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 emails well you're a hypocrite because you know you, you said good things about this and you didn't like that lucha underground i've always thought they get a pass on all of it because they were consistent throughout right so yeah, lucha yeah, underground yeah. started as as a, a new product and from day one they had a, a a unique different vision of what wrestling would be and their presentation was consistent throughout my my problem more so tonight than last night because again i i think the old school 
uh, uh, wrestling fans, a traditionalist, if, if you really try, you could explain away that Boneyard match to a, a large extent, say, well, at least it was a fight and they had cameras there and, and, and they caught it. But I don't know what we what were we watching in the Firefly Funhouse match? Were we in Bray Wyatt's brain or, or <laughs> I, I don't understand how we watched what we watched? Did did that actually happen? Um, and and the problem is that just before that, and really all night, there were matches where where wrestlers stepped into a ring and they had a contest, and cameras were on them, and somebody won and somebody lost. And right after that, again, you had Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre. Right after that, uh, uh, the Firefly Funhouse match, and it was a traditional match. And in the middle of that w- was this thing that is is. Um, completely breaks all the rules of WWE's uh, presentation, even more so than the Boneyard match um, the night before. So um, I, I, I think generationally the the issue is – this is just kind of a, a theory, but but for you and me and, and fans our age and, and older and to some extent fans a little younger um, than us, but basically we're two guys in our 40s, and I think we hey, came up in a hey, time hey. – what's that? I said kayfabe. <laughs> well, that's a good word because it's, that's about to go into is that kayfabe was still a thing, right? When when yeah. we were we were coming up, I mean, kind of at the tail end of it, but but um, when we started watching, there was still some semblance of they were trying to convince us that this was real, and oh. um, I think and and even if you knew better, and and I think you know more fans knew better than not, but it created this set of rules that. What what we're watching is a simulated fight. It is a a a, uh, a pseudo sports, uh, but but a certain kind of presentation. And this new generation, I just feel like that's all, they don't even think about that. Uh, and and we'll go into it in a moment. But but besides those two matches that were really extreme examples of it, I had to some extent some of the same problems with the Randy Orton edge match where it's just not a fight anymore. You know, who, I think, who, I think like, they're still fighting actually, Al. I think they're still, yeah, I know. Fighting but, there. but you know, most people I think in their lifetimes, you know, uh, uh, a men sometime in their life, whether it was in, 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 uh, uh, the schoolyard as a kid in grade school or, or maybe in a bar as uh, a young man, you've gotten, uh, into a fight, you've mixed it up or you, you've been so pissed or maybe it's with your brother, you know, at home, but, but we've all, gotten there and when have you ever in the fit of rage in in a fight wanting to kill someone who did something wrong to you um decided the best way to do that is to do a pull-up on a weight machine and then throw your legs on top of a guy and i'm not even sure what that was or this fight is i'm so angry i'm so full of rage that the only way to settle this is for us to climb on top of a truck you know it's it just it, it's you know, you're just putting on a show. This doesn't even resemble a fight anymore. And uh, I don't know. I'm all over the place. <laughs> well, no, I mean, well, I, I first want to preface it by saying that I'm a lover, not a fighter. So, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't really know. But but yes, um, I mean, what takes me out of a match like that and a lot of matches and one of the announcers did it tonight. I, I don't remember which one when they were doing one of those moves, uh, those kind of funky kind of like hanging from the ceiling or whatever. One of them pointed out how, how creative that was. I know. Cause that's what you're looking for in a fight. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be creative when I'm in when a the guy. RKO your wife. 
Right, right. I just want to kick the guy's butt. You know, you know what I mean, as efficiently as I can. And when you when you praise their creativity, right, you're exposing again the the artifice, the fakery of the whole thing. I mean, but again, like you said, maybe the younger fans. I oh, I feel, I feel like I'm I'm such like an aging hipster saying this, but maybe the younger fans just don't care about that you and i guess, think about it no it's it's yeah, just it, all performance art yeah they grew up right i mean like they grew up completely in the post attitude kind of era where that wasn't even something they were thinking of and this was look this is a training that's been going on by by vince mcmahon and wwe and other you know other companies too but over the past let's say 30 years gradually right growing this audience to accept this sort of thing i mean look Undertaker, it's very ironic, 30 years ago when The Undertaker appeared, right? You had the old school fans going like, this is ridiculous. Are we supposed to believe this guy is dead? Like, what's happening? Like, how could this be real? You know, this takes me out of everything. And so, like, it's been a progression from that to what we now get today where it's like, I'm just watching this to see, like, crazy, you know, just to be entertained by crazy stuff. And I'm not even thinking of suspension of disbelief or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but but there, there's part of me, as you touched on, that is very much of the philosophy. Like, look, if it works, it works. If I'm in the minority and the majority of their audience loved it and um, it's going to make them go spend more money on on pay-per-views and go buy merch and buy tickets to your next show, then far be it for me to tell you that you're wrong. But then there's another part of me that very much feels no, this is wrong. This is this is not the right way to do it. I mean, I mean, almost objectively speaking, you can't do this, right? <laughs> I, I, there's very much a, piece, a part of me that feels like no, no. There there are some rules, and uh, again, I could give a little bit of a pass to to the boneyard match, uh, especially with Undertaker. And you touched on, you know, he's always had those supernatural powers and and all that stuff. I remember to much lesser extent back in 1994. When um, uh, Yokozuna, they had the uh, the casket match, and uh, he he raised into the heavens after uh, being beat by Yokozuna. Remember that whole deal? Yes. And and they carried him to the top of of the arena, and and at the time feeling like what? No, <laughs> right? I mean it it just uh, didn't fly. And uh, from that to this, it's just I can't imagine what's next. Um, uh, so I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it it's it's. Um, it, but but truly, I mean, the, the word is is fascinating. I mean, I I would not have understanding that some of this has passed me by. And as you said, maybe uh, I'm not the audience anymore, even though if you look at their demographics, I think we're still very much the audience and maybe even on the young end of of the audience. Um, so uh, I, I, I don't know if it is all young people. I mean, maybe that there are even older fans who yeah. really enjoyed it. It's fascinating. I wonder how representative too, and I wonder this about everything, but I wonder how representative the social media audience is of the audience as a whole. Like I have the sneaking suspicion it's nowhere near as big or as influential as we think. I mean, yeah, I mean, Raw's rating numbers and WWE's ratings numbers, they point to like a huge section of the audience being in like their 40s, 50s, 60s. And I just picture like millions of people who are not on Twitter watching what we just saw and just being like completely befuddled, annoyed, confused, like not even knowing what to do with it, you know? And meanwhile, you've got like all these kind of intelligentsia on Twitter, like 
praising it, you know, like it's an Andy Warhol movie or something. <laughs> I, I think you're really right. And and, and we won't get into here, but but we had a discussion with uh, um, Kevin McElvaney, a new editor at, at Pro Wrestling Illustrated, about another topic that's come up with, with some backlash we've gotten over something else on, on um, Twitter and social media recently. And, um, you know, I, I had the same kind of bit of advice for him is like, let's, let's not take this all too seriously because, uh, yeah. And I think WWE does it, but, but you can give too much credit, um, and, and too much agency to, uh, uh social media. Uh, cause you're right. I just, I just can't imagine that more people enjoyed this and maybe that's not in the world, the, the right word, but, um, the, the, in, in enthusiasm, the excitement, um, and I'm talking specifically here of the Firefly Funhouse match because, uh, honestly, I mean, for the life of me, I don't know who the audience for that was. I, I don't know who could have enjoyed that. Uh, it, 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 to me, it wasn't. Can you give some some points for for creativity? I, I guess, uh, but I didn't think it was particularly well executed. You know, the one thing I popped for. Uh, in that, and, and you might be with me. Yeah, I think uh, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yes, and, and it's it, it, it's something that will mean nothing to to younger uh, viewers. One word, an emotion. <laughs> yes, yes, I did, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> because that was always, to me, like that was the, the most, I don't know, like exciting moment of my young life yeah. was when that song, Obsession, would hit. At set when Saturday night's main event started, and they don't even use that song now on the network because I guess they don't have the rights to it. Right. So, that that was my first takeaway. Was like, did they get the rights to Animotion? Does this mean that we're we're you know are they gonna uh, uh, put this back on all the old Saturday night's main events on on the network? And I got I got chills when they did that too. Yes, yes. I I will accept this match if <laughs> some good comes out of it and, and we get the original Saturday Night's main event theme song back, but otherwise just an absolute hot mess. Well, um, I also liked, I liked when the Vince puppet, uh, I don't even think I could say this on the podcast, but the Vince puppet said something that uh, very famously, John Moxley had stated that Vince said to him on, on when he was on Chris Jericho's podcast and it became kind of an internet meme. Um, that's good blank, right? Yeah. And uh, I did pop for that because I thought that was really surprisingly self-deprecating of WWE to actually include that in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it wasn't boring, right? I mean, there's things that you see uh, John Cena come out in his original trunks, his, his uh, ruthless aggression trunks, and it's sort of like, hey, look, he still fits it to those. So so there were, were moments for me that it's like it was sort of interesting, but I, I just um, – I just couldn't get out of, uh, of my head. Like, what what is it that we're supposed to be watching? Uh, is 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 this supposed to be real? <laughs> you and, and know, isn't it ironic? You would think that after night one, who would have thought that we'd be sitting here going like, "Well, that boneyard match, I could sort of accept that." Yeah. You know, <laughs> whereas at, at the end of last night, I mean, I know I was, and a lot of other people were like, "Oh my god, that was unwatchable." And I, then get this, and now we're going. Hey, that boneyard thing wasn't. Yeah, so yeah, it's looking like Flair Steamboat. Yeah, I mean, compared to, to, to this. Um, so I don't know. Let let, let let's uh, uh, talk about a couple of things. So, I, I almost feel that, that again, they're more interesting than than match results or anything like that, or just sort of decisions and um, philosophies and approaches. Uh, I just think it's all so interesting. So they. The timing of matches was was incredible, especially here in night two. There were these matches that were 
endless. I mean, it, it felt like that or an edge match. What did it go? I mean, it had to be it about 35 minutes. minutes. Yeah. It yeah. was the longest match of the night of both nights and not only the longest, but I mean the longest by like almost 50 percent. Yeah. And, 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 um, I thought, well, let's talk about that match. I, I, I was really, really disappointed. I had high hopes for that. Um, again, I, I thought the, the, the best built angle, the best storyline going to WrestleMania, uh, a lot of anticipation for the return of edge. And because of the, uh, the stipulation where the last man standing stipulation, it, it, it wouldn't have been necessarily that much in the arena. Um, it was the one that I thought, um, maybe wouldn't be as hurt as, as other matches, uh, in not being in front of a crowd. But to me, this was a huge swing and a miss. And again, Randy Orton keeps the streak going of, you know, on, on the big, big stage. And it isn't to put this all on Randy Orton for sure. Uh, but, but just, uh, on the big stage, the big WrestleMania, uh, match, you know, it's a clunker. And, uh, uh, at least that I felt that way. I, I don't know if others felt differently. Again, who knows what fans' tastes are, uh, but but this didn't look anything like a a fight to me. It was some kind of exhibition, and beyond that, just just way 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 uh, too long. I thought for, for as goofy as I thought as it was that they um, they ended up on top of the truck. I thought that that sequence toward the end with them on top of the truck was the best thing uh, in the match. There was some real suspense up there. Uh, but, uh, just, the the, the walking and brawling, that's another thing. It's like, if, if you really want to beat the hell out of somebody, why don't you just stay still and just beat them up wherever you are? I mean, what is this inclination for, to having to just walk all over creation to have a fight? So, um, yeah, I was just hugely, hugely disappointed in this match. I, I wasn't as disappointed as you were. I think the biggest flaw, the downfall of the match was the length of it. And I'm amazed that they gave it that much time because seriously, I think, the closest thing in terms of length was, I, I think uh, Charlotte and and Rhea Ripley was something yeah. like twenty minutes, uh, and and this was like thirty five. I just think if it had been shorter, it wouldn't have felt so awful. Like like I don't even mind the backstage brawling stuff. It's like we're kind of used to that, which scares me because maybe in ten years from now, our fans going to be saying that about like Firefly Funhouse matches. <laughs> like we're yeah. totally used to that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, like, I'm used to that being the way those kind of matches are done. That's also partly why they're not usually my favorite kind of matches. I don't think it was that bad. I think it had a lot of drama. I thought, especially Edge, like, you really felt for him. You wanted him to overcome the odds. I loved the way they started it, where it's like, you, you know, Randy shows up dressed as one of the cameramen. And yeah, I like that. You think for a second, like, the main struggle is, could he even start this match? And I mean, obviously, we know he's going to be able to. But, I mean, just the drama of... Can this guy actually do this? But but yeah, it just dragged on and on and on. And that was my biggest problem with it. I didn't even mind the, you know, kind of like all the, the phony backstage fighting stuff. Because, again, like I've seen that before. I'm kind of OK with it. I'm not I know it's not going to be ECW, but uh, that's probably for the best. So these guys don't wind up, you know, in wheelchairs or something. But I think like the the whole thing was the length. It was just too long. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this this a version of this match, 15 minutes shorter would yes. have been entirely acceptable and, and, and maybe even very good. But but this was way too long. Uh, talking again about length, I mean, it's so puzzling, some of the decisions that were made. The the main event of the night, Brock Lesnar and, and Drew McIntyre, uh, this was one match that I was sort of, I, I mean, I wasn't looking for the 30-minute match, but, but I was absolutely up for an intense 
12, 15 minute uh, battle between these two super athletic, super heavyweights, you know, big stiff moves, power moves, just destruction and then somebody winning. And it went two minutes, something like that. I mean, um, I I don't know if there's something at play that we're not aware of. I don't know if there was an injury. I don't know if if either guy had maybe some some concerns about being in there longer than they had to, given everything going on in the world. But it was absolutely puzzling to me that um, this would be so short, uneventful. And if they were going to do that, that they actually put the title on Drew McIntyre. I mean, it's the proverbial, you know, fart in church, right? I mean, why um, couldn't they, uh, again, for the life of me, I I don't know what the urgency was to put the title uh, on Drew McIntyre if the idea is to create him as your, your new guy, coronate him as the new top guy. Um, you'd think that this could have waited and be, been done properly in front of an audience um, or at the very least in a real match. So this um, I, I got it last night with Goldberg and Strowman to some extent. We'll talk about that in a bit, too, um, like why there were circumstances and some urgency that you had to do this, pull the trigger on it quickly. And you didn't want to uh, belabor it in the ring longer than you had to. But that wasn't to me the the, the circumstance in this match. These guys were. Uh, I thought were perfectly capable of putting on a really good match. And I don't know why we didn't get it. Yeah. As soon as they went right into the finishers, right out of the gate, like right after the bell, I knew that it was not going to last. And I couldn't figure out why they were kind of just, it was just a series of Claymore kicks and F fives and German suplexes for two and a half minutes. And that really was the match. Um, And my response again, and I tweeted this too, but like, I, I just, couldn't help it. It was like, I just, I felt bad for Drew McIntyre. I really, really did because this is a guy, I mean, part of the storyline is reality. I mean, he's had a lot of bad breaks. He was supposed to have, you know, he, he always was one of these guys who had all this potential, didn't quite live up to it. He's finally getting the push. He finally has his moment and it has to be this, like where he's, he's having the big emotional celebration, screaming at the top of his lungs, holding up the belt yelling at nobody, you know, and, 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 and it just felt, it, I, I didn't want it to, but it felt hollow and I felt bad for him. And I, I didn't want to, I, that's not the emotion you want to have in that moment. You want to be like, finally, you know, like he finally did it like a Daniel Bryan kind of moment or something, but it was just this kind of empty thing. And, you know, you said something before, which I didn't even consider, but I will say this about the whole, you know, maybe the, they didn't want to be in the ring too long because of, you know, the, the health issues. Um, what I know about Brock, and I mean, this isn't news to anybody is he's not exactly a people person in in reality. Like he doesn't really like to be around people. That's one. I mean, in the best of circumstances, that's one of the reasons why he actually quit WWE in the first place is he hated going on the road. He hated being constantly, you know, barraged by people around him all the time. He's just not that kind of guy. He lives on a very isolated walled compound, it could it wouldn't be out of the stretch of imagination that he is kind of like heightened in his caution and paranoia about what's going on right now. And maybe he said this is pure speculation, but maybe he said, look, I don't want to be in there long. And, and they, you know, they did that for him. Who knows? Yeah. And if that's the case, that's fine. You know, I, I, I totally understand that. And and uh, probably one of, the, one of the more rational decisions made over uh, this whole weekend. So uh, let, let's talk about the other world title match. Fascinating that the two world title matches at WrestleMania combined. I don't know if they they totaled five minutes. Um, Something and, like that. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and both very similar. 
Um, and so last night, night one, we got Braun Strowman beating Goldberg in, I don't know what it was, two minutes, two minutes, uh, Goldberg spears him a bunch of times, Strowman power slams a bunch of times and, uh, it's over in, in, again, in this one, I, I understood more why they wanted to get out of it uh, so quickly. And I understood even why they had to get the belt off of Goldberg because they were in a real jam with that, that belt on Goldberg. I don't think they ever expected, um, you know, the, the plan clearly was to put it, uh, move it from him over to, to Roman Reigns. Then you lose Roman Reigns and you can't leave the belt on Goldberg, um, even though I guess you could have, because who knows what they're doing anyway, if there's even going to be a uh, 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 WWE running shows for a while. But but nevertheless, I understood why there was emergency of getting the title um, off of him. What again, and I feel like this is the 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 pattern for the whole weekend is just these bizarre decisions that are really and, and legitimately. I mean, I, I, I wish I could be a fly in the wall to understand what was behind some of these uh, decisions. Why was it that if, if this was the plan, why was it that this match wasn't announced until the night before on SmackDown and only in passing, there wasn't a promo, there wasn't an interview, anything. And they knew for, uh, a week and a half that this was the match and uh, presumably that, uh, you know, they were putting the title on, on Braun Strowman. Um, why not build it up at all? Uh, I, I, I don't get it. The, the, the one thing that my wife actually speculated on, and, and I do wonder if it is the case, were they holding out hope until the absolute 11th hour that they could actually convince Roman to do the match and then somehow throw it together. You know, we'll fly Goldberg out to you somehow and put up a ring somewhere and, um, you know, just, just hit him with your finish and, and get out of it. And so was Strowman the, 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 even once they taped the match and put the title on him, was it essentially the, the plan B and plan a all along was, Roman Reigns. So up until the last minute, let's keep promoting the match and maybe we could pull it off. And if not, we have this. But even if that was the case by you would think Friday uh, uh, at at the the latest, um, they knew that this was going to be the match. And even on SmackDown on Friday night, there wasn't anything there, there wasn't an interview. And if you heard Triple H on, on SportsCenter earlier in the week and it came up that Roman was not going to be there. Uh, he sort of tiptoed around it, but but you know the idea was just just wait. We're telling the story here. It's going to make a lot of sense. There's going to be a payoff, and there was nothing. <laughs> you know, there was absolutely nothing. So, what what do you think happened there? It was very confusing to me because you know one one of Vince's big philosophies always is do not um, tease something that you can't deliver. Don't put something out there that you're not going to deliver. Um, I remember there was a thing a few years ago when Brock Lesnar was on Stone Cold's podcast and they had this whole back and forth thing, if you remember, where they were teasing like, oh, maybe we're going to have a match against each other when there was no way it was going to happen. And supposedly Vince was furious because he hates stuff like that. So it's weird to me that they would be teasing a match that they knew they couldn't deliver because it almost and I know it can't be this, but it almost smells of like a like false advertising kind no, of. Oh, absolutely. Were yeah. they doing it? They, they were pushing pay-per-view for the first time in a long time. Right. They, they, it wasn't all about the network this time. They were telling people go buy it. They put it on the fight uh, uh, app. Um, so pay-per-view was very much part of the business model uh, this year, which I think is a sign of things to come for next year's WrestleMania and, and beyond. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely false advertising. 
Yeah, because look, uh, Goldberg versus Roman Reigns is a hotter match than Goldberg versus Braun Strowman. I mean, I think most fans would agree with that. I mean, just the, the star power alone and the whole like dream match factor to it, whatever it may have, just because of the way that those two guys have been presented. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that was part of it, too. Uh, I, I don't think there was – I think they had to realize they weren't going to get him, uh, meaning Reigns, to do it. I also got the sense you know, there might have been like uh, some kind of uh, turmoil behind the scenes because – if I remember right, wasn't there some kind of controversy uh, a few months ago where Reigns was basically kind of on the record saying that he wasn't thrilled about working with Goldberg at WrestleMania at all? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much of that was was for show or, or not, but who knows? But, you know, and and then the other kind of development um, on, on that was that last week he sort of spilled the beans about not being at WrestleMania before WWE did. I mean, I say that. WWE didn't was didn't announce uh, a Strowman versus Goldberg until Friday night on SmackDown in passing. Roman Reigns was talking about it several days before that on his own Instagram. And I don't know if they were too happy about that. Um, you know, they may not be too happy about a lot of this as far as Roman Reigns is concerned, him him pulling out of the match at all. Uh, so but that's speculation. We, who knows? But. Just bizarre. You're you're a booster of of uh, Braun Strowman. We we talked about that last time. Um, given that you thought he was a guy that should get a run with uh, the title, how are you feeling about him having the title and winning it under these circumstances? Well, I I knew the match was going to be short because that's really Goldberg's thing, and it's always been his thing. I mean, even in his prime, his his matches were very very short uh, because you're trying to protect the guy. But one of the things that makes him what he is is the crowd reaction. So, again, like that was such a huge part of the mystique. So now you got no crowd. You have him, you know, well past his prime, even more limited than he was before. And it it came off to me as kind of a a, a weak win and and a a challenger that was put in there as an afterthought. I mean, at least with Drew McIntyre, I think they could potentially like – pull it out. I mean, even though the, the win was not what it could have been, you know, if you had a, a traditional conventional kind of WrestleMania for Drew McIntyre, uh, just based on, on his own star power, you can kind of pull it off. I just feel like what they did with Strowman, I don't know where you go with that. I mean, he, he beat, you know, an aging kind of champion in, in front of nobody in a match that no one even knew was going to happen. I, it just doesn't feel like anything you can build on. Yeah. That said, I mean, they they were protecting Goldberg right up until this, right? I mean, they had him defeat in, in short order the indestructible uh, uh, fiend. So WWE math, you know, Goldberg is greater than – the fiend is greater than everyone. Goldberg is greater than the fiend. And I guess Strowman is greater than Goldberg. So that does give him um, some heat. But, yeah, these are not – you know, ideal circumstances. I, I saw an interview just before um, uh, WrestleMania today that they WWE put up on YouTube, and it was Strowman kind of talking about how he got the call uh, about this. And apparently, with everything shut down, he was driving back um, to some place that he has in the mountains. He said he drove 21 hours. He was an hour away from uh, getting there, and he gets the call that we need you. Um, so 
on, on having talked to Stroman before I interviewed him for, for PWI a couple years ago, um, he he's got some heat for a couple of remarks that he's made in the last few weeks over all this. But I, I do think he he has evolved into a real student of uh, of wrestling and is very passionate and, and dedicated. And I think for him, um, he's a guy who, who for whom winning this title really is a big deal. And so, uh, again, sort of like McIntyre on one hand, I'm happy that, that he gets this moment on, on the other. It's like, he, these can't be the ideal circumstances for him to have, uh, that moment, even though the flip side is that, you know, what it, it, it'll be more memorable than almost any other way of, of winning the title. Um, you know, this, this whole, these two nights and these title changes will be re- remembered, um, Again, forever. I mean, it's so unique. Um, w- one thing, maybe a transition here, because I, I think it absolutely played a a role in the Goldberg Strowman match. WWE's availability to post produce um, WrestleMania, and I think there was a a, a fair amount of it. Uh, uh, There's probably more of it than we even uh, noticed, which is a a testament to um, their production team. But there were moments where you saw some unusual cuts and edits and things like that. Um, I, I think that. Even at, at two minutes, that Strowman and Goldberg looked as clean and crisp as it did was uh, probably a lot of post-production uh, work uh, because if, you know, the, the, the Goldberg-Fiend match that we got some weeks back was, was any testament, you know, those, those spears, he's not hitting those spears with, with the force that he did, uh, uh, you know, certainly 20 years ago and even a couple of years ago, uh, yet uh, last night... Uh, he was really bringing those spears in hard. So I think in the match, he hit four spears. I imagine he probably delivered 20 of them <laughs> and they, they got the best four. Um, and, and uh, you know, that, that two minute match, I can see having taken an hour to, uh, to, to tape. And I say, I have no idea. Um, but, but the, the truth is, you know, Goldberg is not, the most graceful wrestler in the ring, certainly not um, now in his mid fifties. And they, they pulled off probably as good a version of that as they uh, could. And, and uh, again, I think throughout both nights, there were a lot of indications uh, of that. I think sometimes it worked for WWE's favor. I I can't point to, um, I don't think one blown spot over the whole uh, two nights. Right. But then there was other stuff that they did that, maybe was not advisable in, in the ladder match, the three-way ladder match. There were, um, there was at least one spot where clearly they used some kind of crash pad and Uso fell out from the top turnbuckle outside to the ring. You never saw him make, you know, contact with, um, with the, uh, the arena floor on, on one hand, I think the part of me is like, well, you know, if, if that saves a wrestler from having to take a painful bump and, um, that's good. But on the other hand, it's like th- that moment just takes you right out of it. And if, and if that's the only way you could do that spot, maybe you should have done that spot because clearly in any other circumstances, it would never have been filmed that way. So, sort of like the same thing with um, Elias and, and Corbin a few weeks ago on SmackDown with him taking the, the, the fall off of the, the perch, um, clearly against some kind of a crash pad. So d- – I think it's interesting. I think it's something in WWE now, maybe going forward, sort of considers uh, h- how much more can we do with 
post-production editing that that you know are, are, are there opportunities here that we haven't considered in in the past that have only come into light because of these unique um, circumstances but big picture did, did you notice there the, the editing did it jump out at you did it take you out of it at, at, at moments i noticed some editing in the uh last man standing match the edge and orton where there were a couple of kind of jarring camera switches where you just got a feeling that they jumped over something. I, it was just hard to put my finger on. There were a few times where that happened in that match. Other than that, I would say it was pretty smooth, actually. And, and it makes me wonder, like you said, how much are they going to try to dabble in this stuff uh, in future years? Like, hey, maybe we should do more of these kind of matches. Or yeah. is WrestleMania going to be two nights from now on? I think a lot of people are wondering that. Two nights um, with it being taped on one show, one night and shown over two nights, even with an audience there? No, I mean like doing a live show of two nights. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's a conversation worth having. You know, New Japan did it in the Tokyo Dome earlier um, this year, and I think some mixed results. I don't, I don't think either crowd was as large as it would have been on one night, but I, the combined attendance was probably more than they would have had on, on one night. So, I think from a business standpoint, it absolutely makes sense. It it was uh, less so uh, tonight than than last night, but it was a a pleasure to be done at ten o'clock, right? I mean, show came on at at uh, seven, and by ten it was off the air. It went longer tonight, and and felt that way at some points. But um, that's ab- and, and even before any of this happened, I mean, having sat eight hours at MetLife Stadium last year, it was a thought I had. You know, why not break this up two nights if you're insisting on on it being as long as it um, as it was. Um, but, yeah, I do think that, uh, that you know, I, I think for the whole world, um, we're consider this whole uh, fiasco that we're, we're in is going to make people consider um, ways, uh, w- whether the, the way we've always done things makes sense. That's certainly going to be the case in terms of telecommuting and things like that. And I think Triple H is touching it too. I mean, I, th- there's all kinds of things that maybe they, they reconsider even when the world kind of goes back to normal. One thing that I thought was really interesting, um, kind of counterintuitive. And, and I thought about it watching um, Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, which I thought was one of the better matches, um, if not the best match of, of the two nights. Uh, and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Was, in a, in a weird way, I wondered if that match benefited from not happening in front of a dead crowd. And what I mean by that is, so so we've seen many WrestleMania matches that technically um, were very good, but maybe because of placement on, on a card, maybe late on on uh, a seven, eight hour show, fans are worn out, um, whatever. Sometimes the crowd is just dead for it. And, and you know, Kevin Owens has had those matches. I remember the, the match he had with Jericho at a WrestleMania a couple of years ago, which was technically fine and just the fans weren't into it and jericho had that match i remember wrestlemania 18 the the main event him and and triple h again technically a fine match crowd just wasn't i was there for that too and i remember seeing fans just filing out of the building because they saw hogan and rock already which should have gone on last i mean let's let's be honest here that should have but but what was interesting here is that that not having any fans there almost created a this leveling level playing field where um, you you couldn't blame the fans, right? It's like you just had to be judged by your art and by your performance, and you couldn't write off, ah, you know, the fans are just finicky and or whatever. And in a roundabout way, I think in some cases it might have helped some matches. 
Yeah, well, you're going to make me really come off as the negative guy here because that <laughs> match fell flat for me, I have to say. Really? I did not. And, and I did, look, I did enjoy some matches, believe it or not, <laughs> but that match did not work for me. I just – the whole kind of like false, oh, it's a DQ and now we're going to restart it, 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 it just – it just felt clunky, and again, the drama between the two felt canned. Um, there was just something about it. I thought that actually that one should have been given more time than it was given. It felt so short, like the initial DQ or uh, finish there with Rollins. It was just it felt so quick, and then he comes back, and of course, you know, at that point, uh, Owens is going to win, and then he wins in like three minutes after that. It, it just that one felt a little rushed to me, I thought. Yeah. What did you think was the best uh, match of the weekend? Okay. Best match for me is Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. Yeah, and I liked I, it a lot, too. Uh, and and it, it went um, pretty long, too. It was one of, the, one of the longer matches of the weekend. And they worked uh, really hard. I thought a good opener, a lot of fire. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, they, they – uh, I've always said, I mean, at least as long as she's been there, that I really think Charlotte – is not only you know one of the best, if not the best, of the female workers, but I would say of, of all of them, male or female, in the whole locker room. I mean, she is her father's daughter. Not to say that the match is all credit to her, but I mean, as the as the veteran of the two and the ring general in there and all that, I do give, give her more credit. That match was an instant classic to me. Like I, I absolutely, and I know I was putting it over before it even happened. Right. I was saying it was going to, so I'm not just trying to make myself look good. I really truly felt that was the best match of the two nights, especially my biggest criteria for deciding that was it was more than any other match of the matches they had in the empty arena. It was the only one where I was so into the match that I never thought about the fact that there was no crowd. It didn't even matter. Just the intensity the emotion between the two of them, the, the 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 way that they were kind of meshing in there just perfectly, it just kept me attentive and kept me emotionally involved in the match, just as if it was 80,000 people screaming. And that's the number one test for me. I mean, but I say that a lot about a lot of Charlotte's matches anyway. I just think she's, she's just great. And Rhea Ripley has an incredible upside. I'm just looking forward to seeing a lot of great things from her. So, yeah, I think I mean, I'm tempted to say I was going to say that they stole the show. But unfortunately, there's no way that anybody could steal a show that the Firefly Funhouse match. Was. <laughs> so what did you think of the the two other uh, women's title matches? Uh, night one, Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler and um, the five way elimination match tonight. Um, I, I thought the match tonight went too long. Um it was fine. You know, I, 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 I like the storyline of Sasha coming back after being eliminated to help Becky and kind of draw out the whole potential dissension there. It looks like it'll be Sasha that turns baby face. Uh, but it just felt long. I think most of the women in that match, just the reality is they're, they're not over um, nearly as much as they'd need to be for fans to be invested in this match. And Becky and Shayna, um, was fine. You know, I, I, I didn't think it was, I think they were hurt in being the first big match of the weekend. Um, and not having the, the audience there. I think, I think it, it was noticeable in their match more than others. I feel like by the time you had Charlotte and, and Rhea or, or Owens and, and Seth fans kind of at home 
sort of adjusted to what we were watching. And I don't think they were fully adjusted by the time Becky and, and Shayna came into the ring. So it was more glaring there, but they worked super hard. I mean, they get, they get into that ring and just started sniffing the hell out of each other with those, uh, uh, slaps and, and punches and stuff. So, um, entertaining, I thought. Yeah, they, they really did work hard. I think that, um, it was a little jarring to me and said a lot because here you had Becky Lynch, who was the star of last year's WrestleMania. She was the top. She was the Hulk Hogan. She was the Daniel Bryan. She was the Stone Cold Steve Austin of last year's WrestleMania. And this is not this is quite a drop from that spot. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It just felt like, um, you know, the match was not even one of the like top five in terms of importance of the whole show. And it, it didn't, it, they, de- they definitely didn't have enough time. And I came away almost feeling like Shayna got buried, which was weird. Uh, it almost, I, I'm almost concerned that they're going to do with her what they did with Asuka, which is where you have this unstoppable yeah. force in NXT that you work so hard to get across as this unstoppable force in the women's division and then you know you just pull the rug out from under her so i don't know who was served by who was served well by that finish at all i don't think either one of them was so that was kind of weird the five way i mean look uh, i'm not a fan of those kind of matches for the exact reason of what we saw i think it sort of is the the shining example of why i'm not a fan of those type of matches because it's just kind of a big mess like it's just everybody just randomly doing stuff the announcers are doing somersaults, just trying to keep up with it and make some sense out of it and explain any kind of psychology to what's going on. It's just five people in there just flipping and flying all over the place. It, it, it actually got better as people started to get eliminated because you had more of that, like, you know, one side against another side kind of dynamic. Um, I like the Becky and Sasha stuff. I thought, I, but, but they're, again, they're the two best in the match anyway. Uh, but that match I wasn't expecting a lot from, and I didn't get a lot from the, the Shayna and Becky match. I was expecting more from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, something that occurred to me in, in talking about, you know, Becky being so early on in, in the, uh, night one. And then for that matter, the other women being so late on, on night two is that, um, a, another sort of weird consideration in in these circumstances is that the the whole issue of match order um it is it, it, it's a completely uh, it played a completely different role here because they could choose the match order um after uh, the fact right so you, you hear all the time you know whether it was jericho and triple h going on last wrestlemania 18 or seth rollins and brock lesnar going on first last year and i think the word there was that that was a a last minute call is sometimes you you know you, you kind of have to evaluate the crowd and the fans and the circumstances and and how things will will go over and sometimes after a match doesn't go over as well as you you thought it would you think maybe that should have gone earlier in, in the night or maybe uh, a, a match goes over huge a lot bigger than you thought it would be and you think well maybe we should close with that in in this case you can make the argument that you know they all these matches were put together and then presumably Vince McMahon whoever else um evaluates all of them and so it it is very deliberate the way they presented um these two nights of matches. I mean, this, I don't know what it says, but, but it says that they thought that this was the right way to, to organize uh, these matches. And the other thing to take into account there is that 
it's essentially two events. So they needed um, to to um, you know kind of build to a climax on two different nights. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I just think it, it's kind of fascinating. You know, the decision to to close the the first night without not even in really a match. I mean, the the, the closing image of night one is the Undertaker riding off in a motorcycle, and then um, closing up the the second night with drew mcintyre in you know a two minute i don't call it a squash but it was a, a nothing match so um strange uh, uh let's talk about some other things that you know kind of unique about this wrestlemania one thing um that that i thought was being able to hear the wrestlers talk to each other uh and uh, that was really kind of fascinating and them having to be careful there too and what what gets caught on on mike i i think that uh, uh, Again, some of the post-production just wasn't on, on the visual side. Um, my my sense was that they added kind of, I don't know if they had a Foley artist or something, but there were, I, I think there were some sound effects added, whether, um, I, I you know, the one that occurred to me is is the, the spots with the ring bell in the Seth Rollins-Kevin Owens match. But even when, uh, like, Jimmy Uso took that bump off of the top to the outside to um, I, a crash pad, presumably there was the the slap, the thud of him hitting the ground. And I think that was peppered throughout the night, um, which I don't think was the worst thing in the world. I think that actually enhanced the experience uh, some. And the other thing that I, I thought I noticed was in in some places, um, some announcing, some some commentary being inserted beyond what they were calling at ringside there. There were a couple of uh, moments where uh, you could tell that this was inserted later. Oh yeah. They, they had to be doing that. I think, especially if they were, if they were editing things, I'm sure they did. One thing that I thought was kind of comical, it took me a while to figure out what was happening. But if you notice this now, when they would show the instant replay, right, you would hear, because I guess typically, you know, when they're showing, uh, in a crowded arena, you can't hear the announcers kind of screaming at the top of their lungs over the din of the whole crowd. But because there was no crowd there, when they would show the replay footage of a move, you could hear the announcers unmiked, like the TV announcers, yeah. yelling and screaming from the table, like in the background. And I'm going, who the heck is that yelling through everything? And then <laughs> I finally figured out what it was. It was the announcers. Yeah, but you, you just could never hear them because the crowds are so loud. Yeah, there's all kinds of logistical stuff that you would have thought of uh, ahead of time. I remember, I don't know if you remember, there was um, a promotion that um, ran a few shows after WCW folded with kind of the the remnants of WCW. It was a World Wrestling All-Stars. I think they were like out of um, Australia. And, yeah. and they had the brilliant idea of having the ringside announcers uh, mic'd in the arena so the fans in attendance could hear them. Um, but, but the stupidity of that was, of course, you know, they'd, they'd be saying, Hey ref, turn around or, or they'd be saying things that the wrestlers should not be hearing. Um, and that kind of, um, played a, a role, I think again, over the last couple of nights where in, in the eerie silence of, um, of that arena, I imagine the wrestlers were hearing everything that the announcers were saying. And, and I don't know, I just thought that was a uh, uh, peculiar, um, the, the other thing, um, one match where that I thought benefited from some of this was uh, uh, Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn, which was just fine. I mean, I, I, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. I mean, certainly workmanlike, but that there were so many people. I counted more people at, in the arena for that match 
than any other because you have uh, Brian with Gulak in his corner. You've got um, Zane Zane with uh, Nakamura and Cesaro in his corner. And then before the match, you know, they showed that Gronk and and Mojo uh, were there in, in the rafters. We'll talk about them in the moment in, in the moment and the ref and the two announcers and all the production crew. And I figured there's probably about 20 people in there right now, which that's like a capacity crowd for for this weekend's uh, WrestleMania, and, and I I thought having that many people did create some uh, a level of energy that wasn't in in the other matches. And I wondered, you know, AWs played around with having some wrestlers at uh, in, in the stands. I, I wonder in retrospect if something could have been done. Uh, do you think it would have added it, added something to it, or would it have taken something away to have uh, a sparse a uh, uh, crowd or, or, or audience um, for, for the matches. I think it, it probably would have looked even sadder, honestly. Yeah. Like it, it would have looked like a half, you know, just that they could only draw like 20 people to see the show. I think that having the, the, the other wrestlers out there for the Daniel Bryan match, one of the benefits was, and they probably, one of the reasons they did it is because you could have people doing yes chants. Cause that's like a huge part right. yeah. of Daniel Bryan's thing. I, and yeah, there was a lot of talking in that match, and I think more than usual. I think in some cases they were talking more than they normally would. I mean, in character anyway, because they knew it was all getting picked up. Like they were saying these 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 subtle things to each other. Like during the street fight, during the last man standing, Randy Orton says to Edge, uh, "Just remember that I love you." Now I don't think I've ever seen a wrestling match where a wrestler said that to the other wrestler. And now and we only heard that. Rick Blair, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 24. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. He did. Yeah, you got me. Yeah, he did. He did. But I mean, like, they were doing things like that and talking more and also just, I think they even were working stiffer and just laying things in a little more just to make up for the emptiness of the whole thing. But but the Zayn and Daniel Bryan thing, I mean, I actually really liked that whole – I mean, Sami Zayn knew what his job was in that match, and it was to take a Bobby Heenan-level beating. And and he, even though he, even though he wound up winning, he did that. I mean, he, he just bounced all over the place. He was the classic chicken heel. You know, he was begging off, and there was a lot of, like, back-and-forth conversation between the two, which probably was the best thing about the match. Yeah, yeah. And and it's worth saying throughout in, in that match and really all the matches over both nights, it was the one thing, you know, in in uh tweeting uh, the show live, I felt like I kept on going back to was uh you know, they worked hard. And and I think that was the case in almost every match. I mean, you you really did get a feel for uh everybody on WrestleMania this year uh maybe gave it a, 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 an extra 10% knowing that the circumstances were so weird and that they had to make up for the audience not being there. Nobody phoned it in. I thought of, of some wrestlers from the past um, and not naming names, but, but wrestlers from the eighties and nineties who it, under these circumstances would have just been, you know, absolutely just walking through it, get, get me out of there as quick as, as you can and putting very little effort. And you didn't see that, I think by and large here, maybe at, on, on certain old timers, you, you saw that. Um, but I think by and large, you saw folks really giving it their all as if, you know, it, it was Raymond James stadiums with, with 70,000 people, um, there in the building. Uh, let's talk quickly, uh, cause there's not a whole lot to say about it. Gronk and, uh, let's say Gronk and Mojo Mojo, I guess just a package deal comes with Gronk, but, 
uh, I, I, I don't get it <laughs> again. I mean, I, I think it's a theme of WrestleMania for the whole weekend. Um, I don't, I don't know what they paid him for this, uh, but, but he did almost nothing. Um, and, and what, what he did didn't really add, uh, to the show, uh, much at all. I mean, comedy stuff with 24 seven, but was barely even, uh, on camera over the, the two. I, I don't know if in total, he was on camera for I don't know two minutes maybe over over both nights. So, um, but but even with as little as we've seen him, there, there's certainly a lot of talk about like, well, you know, did WWE know what they got in for with with Gronk? Does that charisma that he had in in the the sports world um, carry over to WWE? Uh, any thoughts on what you you saw out of Gronk uh, this weekend? Uh, not much really. I mean, it just, it begs the question of why does WrestleMania even need a host? What, what does the host actually do? And, and obviously it's not, he's not a host, you know, it's almost like he was there just so they could have said, well, we had a celebrity, it's WrestleMania and you have to have a celebrity. So we did this thing and there's a celebrity standing there and doing things. And that was basically it. It just, it added nothing whatsoever to the proceedings, nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some other matches, but honestly, no, nothing that I think we need to go over um, too much. Any, anything else uh, jump out at you that, that you wanted to bring up? I could. Yeah, uh, no. I, yeah. I will say that the uh, another match that I really did like, and it might have been my favorite match of night one, was the, the SmackDown tag team ladder match where you had yes. the, the, the three singles, you know, the representative from each team. It was uh, John Morrison. Uh, it was it Jimmy Uso and um, I'm blanking on the third. Uh, 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 Jefferson, Jimmy Uso, and I'm blanking on the third as well. Who's the third team? Oh, uh, Kofi Kingston, of course. Oh, right, Kofi, of yeah. course. See, uh, isn't that sad that the guy that won the heavyweight title? <laughs> yeah, right, like, right, right. The highlight of WrestleMania. That one, that was great, and that was another one where I feel like um, you know you weren't thinking too much about the empty arena because. They were just putting on such a great show, such a great show. But but even with that great show, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, if only these guys could be doing this in front of a huge crowd like this would be classic WrestleMania stuff. These guys are pulling out all the stops. They're just the amazing daredevil kind of stuff. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it, and again, I just I just wish it could have happened on a different WrestleMania. Yeah, I think that's probably one that, that benefited some from um, some post-production. Uh, and, and everything looked good, but but I can imagine that there were maybe some takes of some of those bumps that didn't look so good. So, you know, God, I, I mean, you got to feel for those wrestlers if they had to do some of those bumps more than once. Uh, but the end product was a, a real crisp, clean, fun version of a, of a crash. And I mean, it was what it was. It was a crash and burn ladder match, um, but but a good version of it. And, um, you know, maybe hey, here, here's a, a, a winner for you potentially in your real winners and, and losers. Uh, uh, John Morrison only got this um, spotlight because of the coronavirus, right? Because of the word was that uh, Miz was a, a little under the weather and I don't know what his deal is, but maybe, you know, because of a, an abundance of caution pulled from the match. And then this was made into a, uh, a three-way singles match rather than tag team match. And I think because of that, Morrison got to shine a little bit more, um, really that he has since, since he came back and, uh, he was very much in his element in, in this kind of match. This is what John Morrison does 
for for better or for worse, and uh, looked great doing it. I mean that that tightrope tightrope walk um, across the the ring and then uh, doing the Spanish fly at the turnbuckle. I mean, just amazing. That was incredible, incredible stuff. I imagine that might have taken a couple of takes. Maybe not. Knowing Morrison, maybe that was a one take thing. But um, I thought he really shined in that match. Yeah, I, I think he did too. He he had the most memorable moments, I would say, uh, of that match. And uh, it kind of, again, they kind of pulled it out because everybody was saying, oh, my God, what's going to happen? This was supposed to be a tag team match. Now you've got one guy from each team. How is this going to work? And I thought, it, it honestly, it probably wound up making it a better match than it would have been just because yeah. it was a little crisper and let less, um, you know, less people to keep track of in a way. It just it worked really well. I thought it was just the latest in the tradition of WWE putting on these blowout, blow away type ladder matches, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So quickly, uh, uh going over some other votes, uh, Cesaro beat Drew Gulak in the, the, um, the kickoff, uh, opener, uh, on night one. Then you had, uh, Alexa bliss and Nikki cross winning the Kabuki, winning the, the women's tag team title from the Kabuki warriors in the, uh, the official opener, uh, King Corbin and, and Elias, Elias beats Corbin, uh, what else do we have that night? We went over that. That's pretty much it for night one. And then, um, night two opened with Liv Morgan, Morgan beating Natty in the, uh, the pre-show. Uh, then we had, we talked about that. Alistair and, uh, Alistair Black and Bobby Lashley, not much to it. I love Alistair Black's finisher. I just think it looks fantastic. It might be my, my favorite finisher and wrestler, the, uh, the Black Mass. Uh, Otis and Dolph Ziggler, maybe that's worth taking uh, a couple seconds here in as much as that actually got a, a ton of TV time, uh, almost as much as anything. Uh, what, what do you think of, of the payoff there? I thought that match was kind of like a sentimental favorite. You know, I think, I think that Otis has a ton of charisma. He's just yeah. like, he's so likable. And he's got such a great presence. I, I definitely feel like a, a singles run is going to be happening very soon for him. And I just think uh, that whole moment, that was a great moment at the end where he's embracing uh, he's embracing uh, Liv. And there's like, uh, uh, you know, they're kissing and the, you almost feel like, well, again, like this would be one of those unforgettable WrestleMania moments, you know, whereas – he gets the girl and it's like, uh, you know, macho man and Elizabeth thing. Yeah, I don't know about that. That. <laughs> yeah, that was the, uh, and I think it was pretty clearly a, a deliberate kind of callback to that, but, but it worked. And, and, um, I was happy to see that too. I mean, I think presentations of relationships in WWE are often so jaded, right. And, and, um, women are portrayed as, you know, conniving and, and all that. So, it it was and who knows whether they do a complete 180 tomorrow night on Raw, but if only for the night, it was nice to see Otis get the girl and and all that and, and kind of the happy ending. Yeah, and I want to apologize. I, I mixed up yeah. Liv Morgan and and yes. uh, and Mandy Rose. I'm very You're not sorry. the only one. <laughs> yeah. no, it was Mandy Rose. So that was a cool moment. I also thought the Street Profits ending up, you know, with Bianca Belair and having her mm-hmm. on the their shoulders and everything. And that Alliance being formed, that felt like a cool WrestleMania moment to me as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, that's the other match yeah, that I, I neglected to, to mention what, uh, again, in terms of the winners, Austin theory, you know, he, 
I don't know, most people even heard of Austin Theory a couple of weeks ago. Andrade uh, drops out of the match, uh, not because of coronavirus, but because of a rib injury. And I guess the situation of who was around, you know, here in, in Orlando. And he got a call up and got to be in a, uh, a tag team title match at a WrestleMania. So uh, good for him. So uh, all that said, uh, big picture for me, again, almost Im- impossible to evaluate this like you would evaluate a, a normal WrestleMania on, on one hand, I give WWE. Well, first, the que- there is the question of whether this even should have happened. Right. So putting entertainment aside, whether this was advisable, whether it was responsible. Um, and, and there's a lot of arguments you can make one way or the other about that. But in terms of a, a product um, at, at the end of the day, I give them a ton of credit for, for doing as much as they did. Uh, again, how they dressed the place up and um, did create. A, a an atmosphere that was as close to a WrestleMania as you could under the circumstances and um, put on some good wrestling matches and some memorable moments. Um, and, but again, to me, it's going to be about just really, really bizarre decisions made over the, the, the two nights. Some worked. Um, I think others very much did not work. And, um, I don't know. You know, there's a, a little thing, but but maybe a bigger thing um, that I'm giving credit for. I thought it was interesting that uh, on both nights, the the shows opened with Stephanie McMahon giving uh, that speech and, and such a, uh, a kind of historic moment for for WWE in putting on this uh, WrestleMania in the middle of uh, a worldwide pandemic. That is is really um, gotten more serious than I think almost anybody could have imagined in terms of uh, uh, the the number of people dying each day and suffering each day, and um, them going forward and putting on this show and wanting to deliver a, a message to fans around the world is interesting to me that it was Stephanie McMahon that delivered that message. I mean, if if ever there was a time where you you'd think that you would see Vince McMahon. Um, I think it would be in in that particular uh, a spot, and and maybe because of some of the circumstances, it wasn't advisable to have him out anywhere. Um, you know, a, a man in in his seventies, uh, but um, in in so many ways, it feels like this WrestleMania was was a transition point, maybe a tipping point for WWE and just becoming something else than the Russell WWE and the WrestleMania that we've known for years, uh, and and. In, in that sense, maybe it is uh, appropriate that it was Stephanie McMahon um, as the, the face, the spokesperson for the company at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those moments where it feels like and this is not this has been a long time coming, but it definitely feels like the transition is happening. You know, I mean, Vince is a 75 year old man. And um, look, I mean, uh it's it just makes sense that he's going to kind of step back gradually and allow Stephanie and Hunter to be the especially Stephanie to be the face of the company. So I think this was a very conscious move because, yeah, you're right. In the past, it would have been Vince that would do that sort of thing. And I think Stephanie really is now becoming the face of WWE. Yeah. Um, so it all being uh, now in, in the rearview mirror, um, do you think it was a mistake to go forward with WrestleMania? I do. I mean, I do. I, I thought it going in. I was ho- hoping I, I would be wrong. But 
again, I just thought there was nothing to be gained by this. I know that they spun it in the way of saying, well, we're doing this inspirational thing during the pandemic. But but I mean, we've talked about this, how I, I feel like they, they spin it that way to make a negative into a positive. It's like we talked about how they had SmackDown after 9-11 and they spun it as this thing of this is the first gathering of Americans after the when really what it was was we're not going to not do this show. So screw you. We're going to do SmackDown. So I felt like uh, everything was to be gained by moving the show to later in the year, like uh, in terms of the storylines, in terms of even, I think, financial upside, everything yeah. to be gained by moving it. And it was this weird, stubborn kind of we are going to do this damn thing. It was, And that was it. That's all it came down to. And I think it hurt everything about the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, I think, um, maybe my closing thoughts on this is, uh, being home over the, the last couple weeks, uh, in a roundabout way, I got more pumped for this WrestleMania than others because I found myself grabbing a lot of old, uh, wrestling DVDs and old WrestleManias and watching them, um, and looking back on, and, and inevitably I think fans gravitate to certain WrestleManias, from the past uh, and not necessarily the best ones, but, but the ones that um, leave a lasting impression uh, on you. And some of them are, are bad ones. You know, I put on WrestleMania two a lot uh, and it, it's sort of notoriously one of the worst WrestleManias, but um, you know, it, it, it brings me back to a place in time in my childhood. And I think this WrestleMania will be one of the ones that people go back to a lot in, in the future. Um, and we'll pop in 20 years from now, you know, they, they may not want to go back and watch WrestleMania 33 or 35. Uh, but I think they'll go back to 36 just because of it, it captures this really, um, a fascinating, uh, moment in time in, in pro wrestling. So if nothing else, um, there's that, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it will go down as, as if, if not, um, you know, one of the, the, or, or the most memorable WrestleMania in history. Um, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, it is now officially midnight. Um, and, uh, I appreciate you, uh, staying up to uh, chat about, uh, this WrestleMania. All right. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Get some sleep. All right. Bye. <laughs> you too. Bye. 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 Bye